Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story by Nimisha Ladva that she first shared on the podcast in April of 2013. Here's Namisha now with a story we call An American Family. A question. How many people belong to a family? <laughs> Okay, good, good, lots of you. Some of you just fell from heaven. Um, So you know that belonging to a family can be nerve-wracking, mostly because families bring together people who shouldn't be together at the same place at the same time. (laughs) Now, I belong to an Indian immigrant family. We didn't come straight from India to America. My family, over the generations, we moved from India to East Africa, where I was born, Uh, then to England, where I got my accent, and then to America, where, you know, I'm I'm here. And um, that means that I grew up with a version of Indian culture that is a hundred years old. Very conservative, very old-fashioned. And one of the things I grew up hearing was, Nimisha, Merbani, Tugar ni Izzat Rakte. I don't know if there are any Gujarati speakers out there. <laughs> um, but what the... I'll translate just in case there aren't. Um, <laughs> Nimisha. Above all else, remember to keep your family's honor. Well, when my family came to America, they saw that many of the Indians here were professionals. And neither of my parents went to college. So to sort of maintain the family izzat, and also to belong, it became very important to my parents that their children, me and my brothers, that we needed to study well and marry well. And this was actually code for become a doctor or marry a doctor. Now, my chances of becoming a doctor were unfortunately quite slim because I am a world-class fainter, I see one drop of blood, and I can drop 90 degrees. So that was likely not going to happen. So it became very important that I find a nice Indian doctor to marry. Which leads me to another question. Has anyone ever been treated by an Indian doctor in the room? Anyone? Anyone know of anyone who's been treated by an Indian doctor? So it should be everyone. So right, so there are a lot of Indian doctors out there. I only needed one. (laughs) I couldn't find one. (laughs) I didn't. So you can imagine my parents' disappointment when I announced to them I wanted to marry a nice Jewish boy from Chicago named David. (laughs) And um, just in case you can't imagine my parents' reaction, I thought I'd bring it in for you a little bit. So my dad was actually very calm and collected for the most part, um, except for one very bad day. We were driving 
We were on a mountainside, and we were actually in the middle of nowhere. And he grabs the wheel. I grab it back because it's dangerous. He grabs it. He says, Nimisha, pull over. I didn't pull over because it was scary. <laughs> Leave me on the side of the road to die. <laughs> I just want you to know I did not leave my dad on the side of the road to die. My mom. Her reaction was long-term, piecemeal, and delivered in doses on my voicemail. <laughs> Hi, it's Namisha. Leave a message. Bye. Beep. Nimisha. <gasps> Nimisha. Beep. Like that was it. Like no words necessary. Now I should say, David heard one of these messages and he said, Nimisha. You're not doing this to her. That's just a reaction. She could have a different reaction. Now, the dutiful Indian immigrant daughter in me heard that and I thought, that's dumb. Because <laughs> um, you know when you're an Im a child of immigrants, when your parents are upset, it is absolutely your fault and your responsibility to fix it. But the adult in me was thinking, well, I wonder, like, maybe they could have a different reaction. Like, that would be weird. That would be different. Um, and it was, things were bad. Everyone was upset. No one was happy. And people would say, Nimisha, are you sure you want to go through with this? It doesn't seem like it's going so well for like, anyone. You look like hell. You know, I mean, and it was a good question. And I have to say, I was as surprised as everyone else by this whole thing. David certainly didn't look like the person I was going to marry. So if my parents, they would have been happy with like a double MD, PhD, with one of those like Indian mustaches, let me show you. Like that. <laughs> See that? Like that would have been so hot for my parents. Um, I was thinking, I don't know, I was thinking like a, a dot-com mogul, like a yoga practice on the side, Shah Khan lookalike, like that would be good. I, I could get into that. Didn't happen. I met David on the job. He was wearing these like gold rimmed glasses from eighth grade. And it's not like this is a sick cougar story like he was in eighth grade. No, he was like in his 30s and he's wearing these gold rimmed glasses. And he also has a red jacket. Like who in their 30s wears a red jacket? But I'm thinking, you know, he's from the Midwest and maybe his mom, you know, put him in red jackets, like, I'm thinking, like, there are lots of dangerous combine harvester, like, corn processing machines, you wear red jackets for safety, and he just, like, never got over it. But there was evidence along the way that he was, indeed, the right choice for me. And I'll give an example. Very, very early on, he made me tea. He knew I was from England, and he knew I liked tea. And he called the Whole Foods, and he had them order Devonshire cream. He picked up fresh scones from the bakery, 
and he had a particular brand of tea, which I'm looking at like tea. So why are you looking at that tea? I'm looking at the tea. Like, why did you get this tea? Do you know what he said? I know that's your favorite. I hadn't told him that. He had simply paid enough attention to know. And no one had ever paid that much attention to figure out what I liked and what would make me happy. But he did. So, to his credit, he was right. My parents do start to have a different reaction to David. We get to the point where we're actually going to have a nice Indian wedding. And Indian weddings can be fancy and they can be long. So just for an example of fancy, when my brother got married, he got married two months before I did, he arrived to the wedding site riding a white horse. <laughs> now we thought we should make use of what we had on hand. And we thought that for our budget, it would be nice if David would simply arrive on his white feet. <laughs> which was great, and it was cheap. And, um, and, you know, they can take a long time. Ours is going to last two days. The first day is set aside. Uh, the groom's family does their thing. The bride's family does her thing. And the, the two aren't really supposed to meet. But, you know, my parents thought, David's marrying into this Indian culture. He should, come on, come on. Come, come enjoy 5,000 yards of Indian culture. Come on. So, you know, David comes, he's by himself, he comes and like we're having these ceremonies and he participates and along the way my mom says she's making something for David. She's making something. Like I don't come from a craft making family. Like in my family growing up, craft meant, here's a pile of your dad's shirts, put buttons on them. Like that was craft. And um, so she's making something, and I'm, I, I feel like my nerves are relaxing, that this is good. And what she's making for him is a loon. And a loon is a, it's like a small brass vessel. You put beads in it, you cover it with cloth, and you decorate the cloth. And it is used as, well, it's used as a massage object, which sounds crazy and bad, but it's actually just the groom spends so much time in the wedding sitting on a small platform, reciting Sanskrit shlokas that like a little cousin sits behind him with this loon, shakes it, makes a nice jingly sound and like rubs it down his back. It's like something made for the groom's comfort. <coughs> so at some point, you know, over the day, saying, you know, and since I know there are no Gujarati speakers or translators out there, um, she's asking for red powder and someone goes and gives her red powder and it's very nice. She finally announces she's done. And everyone goes quiet. She comes up. She hands David the loan. And I look at it. And that is when I go into a cone of doom. And all I remember from this moment forward is sweat and fear. Because I'm not kidding. What my mother has spent the morning putting on the loan for decoration for her Jewish son-in-law to be is a swastika. <laughs> a swastika. The room falls silent. It is like 
someone has died. No one says anything. Finally, my mother, she's kind of, David, you're not liking? <laughs> my dad, sensing that my mother's feelings might be hurt, steps in. David, do you understand? In the Indian culture, swastika is a very good thing, means home, means good luck, good Indian weddings, always having swastika, it's a good thing. <laughs> well, this is not convincing, it's still quiet. David says nothing. I am still in my cone of doom, sweating and afraid. At this point, I'm like, I'm not even going to marry an Indian podiatrist. My life is over. There's like nothing I can do. My uncle, sensing that the ship is sinking, he steps in. Now, he is an engineer by training. He collects swag from like technical conferences. He has a collection of like plastic visors. And, um, but now, suddenly, he's like a cultural anthropologist. He steps in. Hey, Mr. David. You know, Native Americans... They are having swastika for decoration. Very beautiful decoration. You can find swastika in art all over the world. Very beautiful. <laughs> Still nothing. David says nothing. I, I can't take it. My mom. David, are you worrying about those Nazis? <laughs> Very bad people. Well, that's good. I was glad we agreed that the Nazis were bad people. You know, they are stealing the swastika from Indians. They're stealing it. Finally, David says one word. He says, Mom. Mom. He has never addressed my mother as mom before that moment. And it changes everything. I get it. David gets it. My family gets it. Suddenly, we come together committed to having a swastika-free wedding. <laughs> David says, Mom... You know, we can't have swastikas at this wedding. Okay, my dad checks the invitations. There's no swastikas there. We start checking the saris. There are no swastikas there. We check my mendi. Okay, we are swastika-free. The next day, we do indeed, to honor David's family and protect the izzat of his family, we have a swastika-free wedding, and it's great. And, and we have been married for 10 years. And... <laughs> And when I think back to that moment, that one moment when David said, Mom, I'll tell you what I got. We weren't just an immigrant family. We didn't just belong to a Jewish family. We didn't just belong to an Indian family. In that moment, we belonged to an American family.
That is all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.